0: Back in 1984 that uh, President Reagan uh, proclaimed that there would be a National Day of Sanctity of Human Life, the third Sunday of every uh, January, and so we celebrate that today, and uh, watch this uh, video from Psalm 139 as we observe this Sunday.
1: You have searched me, Lord, and you know me.
2: You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar.
1: You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways.
2: Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely.
1: Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence?
2: If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there.
1: If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast.
2: For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb.
1: I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well.
2: My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place.
1: Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be.
3: Today, as we look at sanctity of human life, it can come as a day of many emotions, for there may be somebody here today that has experienced and gone through an abortion, and I have a word for you. God forgives, and God loves you, and he would desire for you to seek that forgiveness that can only come from him. On the next spectrum, maybe somebody in here that is considering an abortion. And today I would say choose life. Because that is God's desire and he makes no mistakes. If you need help, seek help. I can tell you from about 27 years ago, getting a phone call that says we have a baby that we need to place. And the lady on the other end of the phone says, but I've got two things I need to tell you. He's been diagnosed with failure to thrive, so he's, been, he's given up on life, and so he's probably going to have some problems. And he's got a cleft palate, so he's probably going to wrestle with speech. I said, doesn't matter to me. We'll take him. We couldn't get him fast enough. Well, as you know, my son, Joel, has no problem with talking. <laughs> he goes a long way. And he has not um, got a, a thriving problem. And even to this day, his PhD that he's writing is on comparing human adoption and spiritual adoption. Because my son's been adopted twice, one with us and one with the Father. And so today, I have a word to say. Choose life. Choose life. Our ushers are going to come and they're going to take the offering and let me pray for this day but also uh, for our offering. So let's pray. God, you're an amazing God and you make no mistakes. And God, I thank you for the, the son that Deb and I have been able to raise because as we told his birth mother and father, Thank you for choosing life. So, God, we thank you for that. And I know there's people today that are struggling with that decision. Maybe they've made in the past, but help them to understand there is forgiveness in you. And, Father God, we just um, pray for your hand to be upon them and help them to feel that covering of forgiveness today even. God, as we come to you in this time of worship where we give back, God, it's not ours. It's all yours, and thank you for allowing us to be a steward of that. But God, I pray that you would bless this offering that is about to be taken. May it bring boys and girls and men and women to know you and to serve you and to grow up in a relationship with you. So God bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Before the pastor comes and opens, Hebrews 3. We're going to concentrate on the one whom Christ will be compared to, Moses. He wrote a beautiful song and led this song on the banks of the Red Sea after God had done a miracle and saved the Israelites from the Egyptians. And we won't read the whole thing, uh, but this song is based on it, and we'll just hit some highlights. One verse says, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. Another, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Another, Your right hand, O Lord, gracious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of Your majesty, You overthrow Your adversaries. Another, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Verse 13, you have led in the steadfast love of the people whom you have redeemed. And lastly, the song says, the Lord will reign forever and ever. O the Lord,
4: our strength and song highest praise to him belongs, Christ the Lord, the conquering king, our name we raise, your triumph sing, oh praise, praise the Lord.
5: I invite you to take your copy of God's Word, and you should be able to thump it at this point, point. it should spring open to Hebrews, right? Hebrews chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse 1 down through verse 6. The Bible says, this is, this is the word of the Lord, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling... Consider Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest of our confession, who was faithful to Him who appointed Him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we. Are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. One of the differences between first century Jewish Christians and 21st century evangelical Christians is our view of Moses. Frankly, Moses at times, has been given a bad rap. Moses and Jesus are often pitted against one another. And why is that the case? Because of the grace and law dynamic. We tend to think, Moses, law, bad, I'm in trouble. Lists of do's and don'ts, lest you die. Jesus over here, love, grace, mercy. And we pit them against one another. As a matter of fact, one of my heroes, Martin Luther, the reformer, even had not so kind of words to say at first about Moses. Of course, Luther would have been saved out of Roman Catholicism and the belief that you attained heaven through works, and yet once he was saved by grace through faith, understood that God justified... remained just and can justify a sinner because of Jesus, right? Uh, Luther came out of that understanding of uh, work, work, work. How many more confessions can I go to? But once he experienced grace, he would naturally gravitate away from law. Uh, Now, Luther's going to repent of this quote I'm about to give you eventually in his life. And he began to see it correctly in the Bible... But here's what he said at one time. Leave Moses and his people together. They are a thing of the past and they are none of my business. I hear the word. That concerns me. We have the gospel. I pay no attention to Moses. He doesn't concern me. And again, Luther's going to repent of that wrong understanding. He's going to come full circle. But I just say that to let you know that that's often still the sentiment agreed upon by certain people who claim to know Christ. And the key for us today is to gain a biblical understanding and perspective of Moses so that you will gain a better perspective of the superiority of Christ over your life and who He is. So our text gives us a biblical perspective on the relationship of Moses and Jesus. And here's the bottom line. The Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ is more glorious than Moses. And when I say that to 21st century Christians, you know what your response is? When I say Jesus is more glorious than Moses, most of our response would be, duh. <laughs> Somebody thought that was funny, right? That's, that's hilarious. But I will say to the young people, say it like this, and I told Brother David this this week. Young people, Moses rocks, Literally when you read the Old Testament but Jesus is the rock that's the difference right we're not gonna dis Moses why because the Word of God does not so we're gonna do a Bible study today you ready Chiefs play at 530 as long as I finish by 5 we're coasting right <laughs> we'll, we'll be good to go I know you gotta fix some food and stuff like that but let's let's think about this today why does the writer move from the superiority of Christ over angels and then pick up the superiority of Christ over Moses. And here's the reason. Moses is the greatest Old Testament figure, period. There is no one in the Old Testament that holds the esteem, the respect, the primacy, the centrality more than Moses. And of course, somebody's waving the flag I thought God was the theme of the Old Testament and you would have that exactly right. But from a human perspective, no one compares to Moses in the OT. So the writer wants to introduce Moses and Christ's superiority in order that we might focus more on the superiority of Christ. So the writer is saying, watch this. Here's one more reason for you to consider Christ as your apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed Him as an apostle and high priest, just as Moses was faithful. Moses and Jesus, however, are not on the same level. They are both faithful to their callings, but Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. So, perhaps the readers at this point have trusted Christ. He's not contemplating who's a believer and who's not at this point either. This is pastoral, okay? He's acting as their pastor. He's reminding them of this relationship so It's possible that the readers could drift back to a wrong understanding of grace and mercy and faith in Jesus Christ and begin to gravitate back toward Moses and the law. Not that Moses and the law were bad. It's just if you don't understand that dynamic, you're in trouble. And by all means, you never leave Jesus. You don't move an inch away from God himself and our salvation. So... The first point last week that we dealt with extensively carried us through chapter 3 only through verse 2 or down toward the end of it. And it was Jesus was sent by God to accomplish our salvation. So here's the second part of that in your bulletin. Jesus is worthy of greater glory than Moses. Author R. Kent Hughes does a really good job of listing out major headings for us to start thinking about Moses. So, if we're going to compare Jesus and Moses, I think it would behoove us to know something about Moses. Because we probably don't know as much about Moses as they would have in the first century, right? At the time, the reader received this letter from the author himself of the book of Hebrews. And so, I'm going to roughly use Kent Hughes' outline, but I'm going to put in a lot of other stuff in there, okay? So... First, consider that he was divinely chosen in his life for an incredible task, wasn't he? His life was miraculously preserved. He was nurtured from birth, even under the sentence of death, right? Firstborn is to be destroyed. Yet, God would see to it that Moses was plucked from the bulrushes by Pharaoh's. Daughter and then given a noble upbringing by his own mom and dad, right? The nursemaid would be his own mom. You know the story, Exodus 2, 1 through 10. And then this man and his election as the deliverer of the people of God was secured when God called him out of the burning bush. The great I am said, this is what you're going to do. And we laugh about Moses saying, Lord, I'm not too good of a speaker. God says, I'll be your mouth. After Moses makes every excuse in the world, God says, this is the call of God upon you. He was divinely chosen. Second, he was the incomparable deliverer. And he did this through a display of unparalleled power. All you got to do is read Exodus 7 through 12. I don't think you want me to do that today. So for your reading at home, just familiarize yourself with this narrative. The Nile turns to blood. Successive plagues of frogs and gnats and flies swarmed upon Egypt. Hail and boils afflicted man and beast. And on one dark night of the Passover, all the firstborn, man and beast, who were not under the blood, perished. With his staff, Moses parted the Red Sea and the people passed through. Throughout God's word, the writers cannot seem to talk about Moses without talking about the exodus and vice versa. You see it all the way through the scripture. They were inextricably connected together. So in other words, delivering power radiated out of Moses' life. Third. He served as Israel's greatest prophet. God communicated with other, other prophets indirectly. He communicated with other prophets in various means, maybe by a dream or a vision. But he communicated directly to Moses as God explains in the Word of God. Now, I would encourage you to take a look at this one. We, we read it before, but Numbers 12. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman. And they said, they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? He's not spoken through us also, question. And the Lord heard it. And then the Bible tells us this, which we'll return to. Now the man, Moses, was very meek. This is unbelievable. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly... The Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. Y'all understand that this is parental guidance. You ever have one of those parent-kid meetings? We're going to have one today, right? With, about, the, about the youth. But this is parental. All right, Moses, Miriam, Aaron, out to my house. Let's talk. Come out here, get before me, let's talk. And you know what goes on here. I, the Lord, make myself known to Moses. and I, I, the Lord, make known. If you, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. When then... Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord kindled against them. You know what happened with Miriam with leprosy? It's not a good thing to speak against your brother, ladies. Y'all not laughing? Oh, well, it wouldn't necessarily happen to you like that. But this is what's going on. The Lord is behind 100%... His servant Moses. He speaks of him in this regard. He was separated out as a prophet. Uh, This is the swan song, the end of Moses' life. But listen to the word of the Lord in verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. Whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. To Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of the people. So, Moses is different. This is in fact how it is when Moses received the Ten Commandments. At which time we know the Bible teaches that his exposure to God was so profound that his face retained a wonderful Radiance. His intimacy with the Lord God was second only to Adam in his pre-fall condition. Unbelievable, right? Fourth, Moses was the lawgiver. To the Jew, the law was the greatest thing in all the world. Moses was the conduit of the Ten Commandments, the Levitical laws, the sacrificial system, and the tabernacle. Everything about their religion recalled the name of Moses. For it all came from the law of Moses, number five, he was the foundational, foundational revelator, bracket historian of the Old Testament. Under divine inspiration, led by God Almighty, the Holy Spirit superintend- superintending Moses, he writes the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Just consider this for a moment. Genesis through Deuteronomy. In Genesis, he gives us the book of beginnings. Aren't you thankful for it? In It is Moses who gives us the very deliverance of the people of God in the book of Exodus. It is Moses who gives us all the ceremonial precepts that would govern Israel's religion in the book of Leviticus. It is Moses who gives us numbers. And Israel's wilderness wandering and it is Moses who gives us the book of the law known as Deuteronomy where Moses will preach that final faithful sermon before the people enter into the promised land. So the first five books of the Bible, the foundational aspect of everything that will come later was written by Moses. He gives us the Old Testament covenant, doesn't he? Where he alone ascends up to, the Mount, uh, up to Mount Sinai, he meets with God. It is Moses who pronounces as Yahweh's mouthpiece the blessings and the cursings of the covenant which would shape all of redemptive history. Moses spoke directly to God and from God. It is Moses who was up on the mountain. And as he would come down, he would then go into the tent of meeting. And he would, take, he would go into the tent of meeting. And he would meet with God and commune with God. He would take the veil off of his face. He would commune with God face to face. The Shekinah glory of God would would be communicated to and through Moses in such a way that as he stepped out of the tent of meeting, they had to pull that veil back over his face because the children of Israel could not look upon his face. He knew God and God knew him. Moses is the very fountainhead of all prophetic ministry. 6. He was a humble man. We just read it. Chapter 12 of Numbers verse 3. More so than anyone on the face of the earth. I wonder why that's the case. I wonder why Moses being so great did not go to his head. I think when you're 40 and you end up in the wilderness for 40 more years and you're 80 when you actually start your ministry then maybe you won't be so haughty. So on the backside of a wilderness for 40 years God tempered this man. So here's the heading. Are you ready? Moses, the great apostle and high priest of the Old Testament. That's what you have just heard. That's why the comparison is made. Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Flip side, Moses, the great apostle and high priest of the Old Testament. He was certainly sent by God, certainly called by God. And you say, well, preacher, what about his priestliness? F.F. Bruce explains, It was his brother Aaron, not he, who was high priest of Israel, so far as the title and the investiture were concerned. But it was Moses, not Aaron, who was truly Israel's advocate before God. All you got to do is read Psalm 99, 6-7, through seven, and you'll find out that Moses and Aaron were among the priests. Y'all remember what Moses did when he came down from the mount carrying the two tablets of stone, the law? What did he do? He saw what Israel was doing at the foot of the mountain. They had committed gross sexual sin, and they were worshiping a golden calf. Huh. We laugh about this, but it's the greatest excuse ever written. When God and Moses confront Aaron, Aaron knows full well that he took all the gold and fashioned uh, the golden calf himself. But he says, I don't know what happened. We just threw all the gold in the fire and out popped the golden calf. I mean, unbelievable. But here's what Moses does. Well, the Lord says, I'm about to destroy him and wipe them all out. I'm going to wipe them out. But what an awesome priest Moses was. He says to the Lord, If you will not forgive them, just blot my name out of your book. What a functioning high priest. What a great high priest. and apostle for his people. Moses was revered. Exodus 33, 8 says, And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent, And when Moses died, the Lord buried him in an anonymous grave. Back to Deuteronomy just for a moment, chapter 34. You got a lot of reading to do in your free time, right? After hearing all this, verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Check this out, older generation. His eye was undimmed. And his vigor unabated. You know what that means? His vision and vigor were not impaired. (laughs) Stop. Don't quit. You older people, don't stop living before you die. Let God take you home before you get to the end of the... Well, that's what happened to Moses. It's kind of a sad thing. We we had this reaction. He didn't just pull up and eyes got dim and he... He lost his vigor and he flopped over. No, he was just as vigorous, just as much vision-oriented from day one. He died because God killed him. Are you all listening? God took him and buried him. And furthermore, he probably buried him like he did so no one would be tempted to find his grave and worship his bones. That's how revered Moses was. I love this. His eye was undimmed. And his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Verse 5. So Moses, a servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him there in the valley. That's the run up to this. And you know what verse 10 says. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel. So just consider this for a moment. Here is Moses. Totally respected, not belittled in any form or fashion in the Old Testament. Then we have to ask the question about the New Testament. We've got to pick up steam here. How many times is Moses mentioned in the New Testament? Eighty times. He's a special guest at the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to a high mountain, and he is transformed, transfigured. In, in other words, in a way... They're able to see Christ in His glory. And who appears with Him there? Moses and Elijah. You can read this in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. They all have the transfiguration there. And so it is this full spectrum of redemptive history. The totality of all the law and the prophets together with Moses and Elijah and Christ. In Luke chapter 16, we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Y'all remember this? The poor man, Lazarus. We we hear chronicle what his lifestyle was like. And we hear chronicle what the rich man's life was like. And the rich man ends up in Hades. And the poor man in the bosom of Abraham. And there's this conversation from the rich man uh, toward the end. Just go send someone to my brother's. So that they won't come to this awful place. And remember that line that is said here? Jesus said they have Moses. You know what that shorthand for? They've got Bibles. They've got Bibles. Let them read what it says. Let them listen. In John chapter 5, we have the terminology given to us about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. We have the terminology that Moses actually spoke of Christ and taught of Christ. I'm trying to avoid reading all of this. We've got the parallels of Moses uh, with spiritual privileges given to his people out of 1 Corinthians 10. All of them were baptized unto Moses in the wilderness. And these are like unto the privileges we have being in Christ. In Luke 24, 27, it is testified that Moses spoke concerning Jesus Christ. He was pointing his finger toward Christ. Don't forget the Emmaus Road encounter when the two disciples are walking out of Jerusalem and Jesus has been crucified and risen from the dead. And, they're, and Jesus joins them in their walk and they don't recognize him. And what does Jesus say? He he begins to teach them the word of God. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he taught them concerning himself. And what about that story in John 9 where the blind man is healed. And this guy is ecstatic. I once was blind, but now I see. And these Pharisees come to him and say, tell us what happened to you. He says, well, I was blind and now I see. (laughs) And he says, do you all want to be his disciples too? And what do the Pharisees say? You be his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. Hmm. Wow. Then we have Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 23. Moses is in the hall of faith. I am grossly under-educating you on Moses in the Old and New Testament, but I'm trying to help you see it. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. We know that when By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. In other words, when you get to the hall of faith, this is not about do's, don'ts, or you die. It's about the faith of Moses. And lest I leave you hanging, what about Revelation 15? Did you know that in Revelation 15, it says, And the people of God are singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. How about that? Not two songs. Let's sing about law and then let's sing about grace. They're singing one song. It's Moses' song and the song of the Lamb. Hallelujah. For the Word of God. The Bible never speaks of Moses like Luther did. In Jewish tradition and in many circles in the first century, people held him in such a high regard and honor that they even thought, some thought that he was greater than angels. When Stephen is preaching in Acts chapter 7, he, he, he speaks of Moses many, many times and the people were getting fired up and mad because he was, the Word of God was convicting them concerning Christ and how Stephen was weaving in and out Moses' role. So now seeing something of the vast regard that the Jews gave to Moses, can you understand why in Hebrews 3 the writer deems it necessary to establish the superiority of Jesus over Moses? But when I speak to you about that, you're saying, duh, preacher, we know Jesus is greater than Moses. We watched the movie. I don't know if you figured that out from your Bible, but I watched the movie, preacher. I've got it figured out. We may say today that you need to gain a healthier perspective of who Moses was, right? We, we all hopefully have a healthy perspective of who Jesus is, but maybe we need to think about that. Now back to the text. Are you ready? That's the comparison with Jesus and Moses. And the comparison is more on commonality, not as much of a contrast. In other words, both of them were what? Faithful, right? Moses was a faithful servant. The son was faithful, just like Moses. And you say, well, was Moses a king? I would say yes, because who judged the people? That's why he had to have elders, right? He literally judged the people. So Moses fulfilled prophet, priest, and king, but Jesus was also faithful as the prophet, the priest, and the king. All you got to do is read Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 Father, I've come, and I have fulfilled everything you've asked me to do. Uh, Chapter 10 of Hebrews, low in the volume of the book it is written, I come to do your will, O God. What does that tell us? Jesus is reliable. He's dependable, he's faithful, he's trustworthy. Moses was not perfect, was he? He was faithful, but he wasn't perfect. All you got to do is read Numbers 20. There was one occasion when Moses struck the rock and water poured forth. But the next time, the people at First Baptist Church were murmuring again. No, I'm kidding. Not you. We don't have any water, Moses. You brought us out here in the wilderness and left us with no water. And God tells Moses to speak to the rock, but what does Moses do? He smacks it twice with his rod. And God says, Well, well, they're drinking it all up and they're happy. And then God says to Moses, You didn't treat me wholly in front of the people. Now you're gonna die. And you say, Well, 120 years of faithfulness. And this guy makes one bad choice and bang. Yes, bang. You didn't treat me as holy, Moses, in front of the people. I told you to speak to the rock and you didn't hit it once, you hit it twice. All right. Just so you know, Moses, lack of a better way of saying it grammatically, Moses ain't Jesus. Are y'all listening? He's not. He's a, he, he was unfaithful in that sin. But the Bible here expressly focuses upon the faithfulness of Moses in the house of God. And and Numbers 12, 7, look it up. Moses was faithful in the house of God. That's where it says it first. I'm not going to turn there for the sake of time. The house is the family of God. Are you all with me? All right, ramp up your thinking now and don't coast. All right, stay with me. I'm going to have a long landing of the plane. Okay, please stay with me. This is the first time in Hebrews where you're introduced to the word house. And this is vitally important. But it didn't start in the New Testament. It actually comes from Numbers 12, Verse 7, so this introduction is the turning point of the passage. Who is God's house? Yeah, the Bible says do good to all men, especially to the household of faith. Ephesians 2, 19, you are God's house, a holy temple being built up into the Lord. First Peter, we are spiritual stones being built up into a spiritual house. The house of God is always the people of God in whom God has made a covenant with. That's the people of God. Here's the fascinating thing we only have one house the house was the house Moses was in and the house hasn't changed are y'all shaking your head getting your rattling your brain around a little bit there's one house Moses was in this house he was a faithful servant in this one house okay now the difference the difference is Jesus has way more glory than Moses both were faithful but there's a difference in their faithfulness because of their person and their work. Jesus is God. That's his person. He's better in his work because Moses couldn't pay your penalty for your sin. Jesus did. Can I get one amen out loud? Are you thinking? With Maybe you're not saying amen because you're thinking, and I hope you are. But this is, the, this is it. Despite his central role of Moses despite his faithfulness and his obedience Jesus is worthy of more glory and God is telling you this this morning because he doesn't want you to to let go of him he doesn't want you to turn and drift and go back because there is nowhere else to go he doesn't want you to harden your heart in unbelief that's coming up next week so very quickly let's see the comparison the builder is greater than the house you see it in the text for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses has much more glory as the builder of the house has more glory than more honor than the house itself so why both were faithful Moses was faithful in the house Jesus was faithful over the house and the central point is that Jesus is superior to Moses because Jesus is the builder Moses is part of the house the house is the household of faith it's a spiritual house it's the people of God in which God dwells it is not this building And I've challenged some of you in this, and you still tell me it's a sanctuary. No, it's not. This is an auditorium. It's a building. It's not a church unless you come. Are y'all listening? God dwells in you as a saved woman or man, not in a building. He can. But Solomon said, a building can't contain you. Right? So get that focus. We're talking about the people of God. Jesus has built an enduring house And he has built this home. Uh, 1 Samuel 2 verse 35. Write that down. Read the story of Eli's worthless sons. Hophni Hophni, and Phinehas. And the Lord at the end of that in verse 35 says, I will raise up a faithful priest. (laughs) Who is that? It is the Lord Jesus. He is the faithful priest in the enduring house. We just came through Christmas. Jesus would be likened to David, but a faithful king in every way. We know what the Bible says. Here's the deal. God has more honor than the universe he created. Do you see how it's brought back full circle? More than than the house itself, for every house is built by God, built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Who's greater than what he built? The builder. Who made the universe? God. Who's greater than the universe? God. Jesus is greater. So, for all these nature worshipers, wake up. Wake up. Who made nature? Who made the universe? I mean, we respect a cricket and a rat and everything else, but we don't respect human life. That doesn't compute in my mind. Right? That doesn't compute in my mind. What are we thinking? We care more about an animal than humanity. We spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on cats and dogs, and we abort babies. We've lost our minds. Why? Because the spiritual axiom, that focus upon a Christian worldview, because we don't know the Bible like we should. We don't know our God like we should, and we're missing it. But our God created the universe. He's the builder. So, Moses is under Jesus because Jesus is the God, is God of the universe. He's the builder, He's the architect, and the originator of our covenant and the house. This is what John said. The law came through Moses, but grace and mercy originated, grace and truth originated in Christ. So, Moses was the conduit, but Jesus is the substance. Moses was the instrument. But Christ held Moses in his hand. Moses was an occupant in the house. Christ is the builder of the house. Here's the truism. Every house is built by someone. The builder of all things is God. In other words, he's saying Jesus is to the people of God as a builder is to the house. Moses is to the people of God as one of the people of God inside of the household. Therefore, Jesus is Moses' builder. In short, Jesus made Moses. That's why he deserves more glory. Now hear this. This is your apostle. This is your high priest. Are you hearing this? This is the one you are to contemplate. The one who made Moses. Who made the universe. The very one that Moses and all the prophets pointed to. So, on him hang all your hopes of heaven. If you have any confidence this morning that your sins are forgiven... And that you will persevere in faith and attain that heavenly calling. This confidence depends on Jesus alone. Nothing else. The greater and the more glorious Christ is, the greater our hope and our confidence. That's what the writer is trying to get you to see. The son is greater than the servant. See it? In his person. The Bible says, Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify of the things that were spoken to him. But Christ is is faithful over God's house. So just consider this for a moment. The difference between a servant and his son is that the son, by inheritance, owns the house. He's Lord over the house. And he provides for those who are in the house. And I'm cutting this short, but let me just summarize this. Jesus, as the son, is superior to Moses as the servant because of three things. Christ owns the house. Christ rules the house and he provides for those who are in the house. Moses does not. Jesus does. By comparison, Moses is just a servant in the house. He doesn't own it. He doesn't rule it. He doesn't provide out of his wealth for those who are in his house. So consider Jesus in relation to Moses. He faithfully submitted his omnis, omniscience omnipotence, omnipresence. He did all of this to the will of the Father. He underwent the temptation. He suffered terribly. He never gave in one moment to the call of God on his life. He faithfully went to Gethsemane with those wave after wave of the world's sin crashing down on him. And again, he went to the cross where his body recoiled against bearing your sin upon his body, the one who knew no sin, and turning the wrath of God away from you because of the sin that you had committed in your own life. And he became a curse for us on the tree. That's how faithful he was. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. As the Bible says in Galatians 3.13, Cursed is everyone who is hung upon a tree. That is the faithful ministry of your apostle and high priest, The Lord Jesus Christ. All right, you ready for the therefore, verse six. And we are His house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Do y'all know what's so striking about this? Is the writer moves directly to application. After giving us this incredible teaching, he goes straight to application. Do you see that? Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast. So, let's do a little house cleaning. Let's think about some words here. Jesus is the faithful son over the house. Are y'all listening? He's the owner, he's the provider, he's the ruler. You got that picture in your mind? He owns the house. He saves the people who get into the house. He protects those who are in the house. And then we have these... Phenomenal words. By the way, perseverance is going to be a huge theme in the book of Hebrews. Those who start will finish. Look at me. Those who start will finish. He that began a good work in you will complete it. That's the focus. And the first time it comes up is chapter 2, 1 through 4. Listen. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. He's encouraging perseverance. And now, he gets to the end and he uses these bombshell words of hold fast. Y'all see it? Hold fast, which is referring back to chapter 3, verse 1. Consider Jesus. How are you going to hold fast? Consider Jesus. Young people, how do you persevere? Consider Jesus, right? Contemplate Him. And then he gives us another word, boldness. Hold fast our confidence. Boldness is another key word in Hebrews. Chapter 3, verse 6, here. Chapter 4, 16. Chapter 10, 19. And verse 35. Here's the deal. Listen close. It essentially means your access to God that is grounded in Christ's saving work. Is everybody listening? You have this, you're, you're told to hold fast. And what are you holding fast in? The fact that your access to God has been accomplished through Jesus Christ and no one else. And you're not going to let go of that. That's what he's saying. You don't let go of that. And then finally, this big word, hope. Misconstrued, misinterpreted so often in the word of God. But it's very distinctive in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 6, 18. Chapter 7, verse 19. Chapter 10, verse 23. Chapter 11, verse 1. And in the book of Hebrews, hope is viewed as an objective reality. The New English Bible renders this verse, the hope we take pride in. In. So hope refers to the content of hope, not the act of hoping as wishful thinking. When we say hope in the Bible in Hebrews, we're talking about the content of the hope. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about what he's done to give us access, forgiving our sins, saving us. He has propitiated the wrath of God that was once against you because of your sin, and now you have access to God. Hold on to your boldness, church family. Hold on to your boldness with hope. There is no other access to God apart from Jesus, and once you have access to God through Jesus, that can never go away. That's your hope. That's what you do. You persevere. You hold. The writer, again, he is, he's setting the stage for Psalm 95, verse 7. He's setting the stage for that wilderness-wandering people who did not endure because of lack of unbelief. So, this morning, I want you to focus your thought on hold fast, right, boldness, and hope. That's what the writer is trying to get you to do. He's doing this for a particular purpose. The text says, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast. You know and I know that grammatically clauses are vitally important. And if there are people who believe that that means a cause and effect. If I don't persevere, then I'm going to lose my salvation. There is a protasis in this text. And I know that's a big word, but I have to tell you that this is important. The real reality is the definitive wording of we are his house. Are y'all listening? We are his house. Definitive conclusion you will endure. All right? So that's vitally important for you to see. It's not a cause and effect, it's a definitive. positioning of who you are in Christ and therefore you will endure That's what's, I, I would like to break this down for you and I'll do it on a Sunday night All right, you come back when I'm talking about this has nothing to do with losing one's salvation if you have direct access to God, he's paid the penalty for your sin do you think God has an eraser in heaven? if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world God must have an eraser wake up! that's not the case at all As a matter of fact, as we go through the Word of God, it's going to build and build. And even Hebrews 6, as confusing as that is to some, about, well, if it be possible for you to be, just hold on to your hat. We're going to fix, we're going to see what the Bible, we're going to fix your thinking and your heart to lean on the Word of God and what it actually says, not the way you feel. So here's the deal we are His people. We partake in a heavenly calling. And the evidence that we are part of the household of God is that you won't throw your hope away. Did you hear that? The evidence that you belong to God and that you are in His house is that you will not drift away from it. You won't throw your confidence away. And if you do, you never had it to begin with. That's the reality. John says they went out from us because they were not part of us. Had they been of us, they would have remained. So here's the deal. Becoming a Christian... And being a Christian happened in the same way, by hoping in Jesus. And, and people in Baptist life and all over the place say, Oh, preacher, I dealt with that a long time ago. I trusted Christ 45 years ago. You came to my house to share the gospel. Well, have you been in church? No. Do you ever get around God's people? No. Then What are you basing that on? Well, I made a decision. <sighs> We're going to see this next week. <laughs> Wouldn't it? The Israelites could have only hoped that their understanding of an escape out of Israel would equate itself into living for God. If you only see your salvation as an escape from hell, you've misread the whole Bible. If what you believe does not make a difference in the way you live today, let me just tell you, there's saints and there's ain'ts. And if it doesn't move you in your life to live for God, then you never got it. Does that make sense? That's what's going on here. You can't persevere if you never had it. you got to be in the house of God before you persevere. What are you hoping in this morning? Are you looking for confidence in yourself? In shrewd investing? In a physical fitness program? In hard work? In luck? The word of God to you this morning is this. Consider Jesus. Hope in Christ. Then you will be part of his house. And he will be your maker and your owner and your ruler and your provider. To God be the glory. I apologize for biting off more than I can chew. But I want you to see it, not the forest and the tree. I want you to see both. And it takes a little bit of digging for us to see all of this. But you know what? Unless Jesus comes back tomorrow morning, we'll be back next Sunday. And we'll keep on going and keep on going. And if we do go to glory this week, I tell you, all of your hopes will be realized like you've never thought before. Right? Because we shall see Him as He is and we shall be like Him. Isn't that awesome? All right. Let's pray. Lord God, help us. Help us to see Your Word. Understand Your Word. Apply it to life. You're the builder, Lord Jesus. You're the maker. You're our great And glorious prophet, priest, and king. We're not ashamed of you. We glory in the cross. We claim the name of Jesus. We testify your name that saved us. We seek to not only believe in you, but live for you because you've transformed us. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The new has come and the old is passing away. Lord, help us. If there's someone lost today, may they put their faith and trust in the only apostle and high priest of our confession that can save us. Lord, help them to see the gospel clearly. And for Christians, Lord, we know what the word says. We won't turn back. We won't drift away. We won't lose our confidence and our boldness because you've given us access. You've changed our lives. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Let's stand together and sing this song that reminds us he is our only hope, our only defense. Lord, I come and I come.
4: is found is where you are and where
5: to sing that chorus again but just think about it just think about the glory of redemption that God has given you his righteousness in Christ and your sins are forgiven past present and future when he paid and and substituted himself on your behalf and died in your stead he covered your sin he expiated covered it But He also propitiated the wrath of God against your sin. And that can never change. When God the Father looks at you, He sees the objective righteousness and obedience of Christ. And you have put your faith in Him, therefore it's counted to you. Oh my goodness. When you sing this song, you need to think about God counted you righteousness. On behalf of his son who obeyed the law and you never could. And then he took that perfect body to the tree of Calvary. And died as a substitute in your place. So that his obedience is accounted to you. That's good. That's great. That's the gospel. Let's sing it one more time. Lord, I need- Well, amen. Uh, I told you the meeting youth and parents would be at 12. I told you. So here we are. All right. To God be the glory. Uh, thank you for being here tonight. We're going to take part in the Lord's Supper. It's one of the two ordinances that God asks us to do. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Hope you'll come back tonight for the Lord's Supper at 530. And uh, to God be the glory. Have a blessed day.